United Atlantic 10 Conference. The call's on him. Five seconds to go. Charlotte Clough gathers for the win. Talk podcast presented by Get Trending Productions. And welcome back to the A10 Talk podcast. I'm your host, Chris Pyle. And tonight I have the usual peeps, uh, the one and only Anthony Morelli and Daniel Frank. Anthony, what's going on? Not much, Chris. The website, A10 Talk, hitting new heights after a great weekend of college basketball. Yeah, absolutely. We uh, So, and what Anthony's referencing is a couple of things. Number one, uh, our website pretty much produced a lot of content over the past week. So, um, naturally, everyone went and saw it all. And we got like over 3,000, even close to 4,000 uh, reads and views on the website over the past, like each day over the past week. So, appreciate that. Plus, if you did not see the huge Woj bomb that happened, uh, we're at like 1.4 million impressions on this. And honestly, I feel kind of old because like I didn't know that whole statistic thing existed on Twitter. But Daniel has been updating us very much uh, every day about it. And I'm impressed that, um, you know, what uh, that has generated a lot of interaction with our Twitter page. But other than that, Daniel, what's up with you? I'm doing great. I mean, hey, I was the one that posted that tweet. That's why I'm so invested with it. I, it's funny. <laughs> I was just sitting in the St. Louis pro, uh, postgame presser here at my desk, just, you know, tweeting out some quotes and whatnot. And I was like, oh, well, you know, Coach Ford keeps mentioning this multiple times, but he's kind of pissed that he had to play at a different gym yesterday or whatever. I was like, I guess I'll post it. Just, you know, throw it up there. Kind of just didn't think about it. And then all of a sudden, you know, I come back and, whoa, just replied to this tweet. It's like, oh, shit, it kind of took off and. Yeah, I mean, the, the most impressions I ever saw on any of our tweets before was like 120,000 or something. So like to get like 1.5 million impressions on a tweet is just mind blowing. So so for the old geezers, like, I don't know, maybe me. I mean, I'm not I'm not old in age sense, but like, I don't know. I'm wearing my slippers right now and my robe looks really comfy. Um, so like. And mentally, I'm, I feel like I'm like 35, 40 years old. But just for any of the older dudes, what what is constitutes as an impression on Twitter? So my understanding is an impression is when the tweet appears on someone's feed or they otherwise like see the tweet. 
So like if they click on the thread and they scroll past it or they click on it or whatever, I think that counts as an impression. Engagement or something, I think is the word when like they actually like click on the tweet itself. But I think just if they see it and like read it or whatever, I think that counts as an engagement, which basically means about 1.5 million people came across an A10 talk tweet that night or since then, which is crazy. Gotcha. Gotcha. Cool. So um, I wanted to ask you, Daniel, actually, because we did not get to uh, talk up that much about this, but how was it being live at the A10 tournament? I have to tell you, Chris, it was an absolute blast. Um, doing the drive down there was something that I've never done before, so I didn't quite know what to expect. I've been to the city before of Richmond, but I'd never been out to UR's campus, didn't really know what to expect. And it's kind of funny for anyone who's never been, you basically drive through this little neighborhood and all of a sudden you pull in and there's campus is just like right off this little neighborhood. And it's a really nice campus. And I got to say, I mean, the Robin Center is right up there with any arena I've been to in the A10. It is really beautiful. I mean, it's not quite UD Arena post-renovation quality, but I mean, it's up there. It's, it's beautiful. Um, it was great just being there. I will say it was definitely different from the last time I covered a tournament in person for the A-10 was 2018 um, when it was at Capital One Arena in D.C. And, you know, it very much felt like, you know, the center of the A-10 world because it was. I mean, all the games were in one location. Um, and this year, that obviously was not the case. So, you know, I didn't get to see much of the games that were going on over at the Seagull Center because I was at the Robin Center um, and I was watching teams warming up and whatnot. So that definitely did take away from it a little bit, just feeling that, you know, there was some things going on at a different location. Um, but I mean, just being in the gym, getting to watch some hoops, you know, getting to see Ryan Daly one more time in person was an absolute treat. Um, always fun to see GW and Mason go at it. Um we're not going to talk about what happened to Mason the next night and it being like the second worst <laughs> loss in a 10 tournament history. We're just, we're going to pretend like it never happened. Well, I'm glad you had fun. Um, I'm glad you got that experience. That, that's a good time. Um, and hopefully we can all be in, I believe it's in Washington DC next year. Correct. Yes, sir. It will be. And I fully intend to be there for it as long as COVID willing. <laughs> I, if we have COVID at this point next year, we might as well just shut down the world and start over. Um, but we're going to move on. We'll get started with our first segment. Uh, we had some transfer news this week, guys. Um, and coincidentally, they're with the two schools that are two of the schools that you both cover. So the first one being LaSalle. I think there was maybe I think there was only one little bit, bit of news. I could be wrong. Uh, it's been, it's been a little bit of a hectic week over in the piled household. So Anthony, tell us all about LaSalle. Yeah. I just want to say this, the fact that there's 285 players in the portal right now, just overall in college basketball is pretty incredible. Um, they're, they're saying it's going to break records for how many players are transferring. And that's probably because of the new rules that have been implemented. But for LaSalle, there is, um, Two players who are in the transfer portal. It's Jared Kimbrough, who plays center and was back up to Clifton Moore for majority of the season. And Scott Spencer, who is a redshirt senior. He played two years at Clemson, two years at LaSalle, and now he's spending his fifth year somewhere else. And so I think the bigger loss for LaSalle is probably Kimbrough, just because centers are not easy to come around, especially for an A-10 team. It's very hard to find guys who are 6'9", 6'10". They're, I mean, teams have them, but 
I just look at St. Joe's, for example, we haven't had a, a true center in at least six to seven years. It's very hard for teams to find them. They get grabbed up by much bigger programs. And Kimbrough, 6'8", 220. I think he's a little taller than 6'8". He averaged six points a game, 3.6 uh, rebounds. I, I think that having I'm, – I'm, I'm going to say this. I'm very fearful for LaSalle. I'm scared that they're going to have a transfer situation where it looks like GW, three, four guys leaving because, you know, Ashley Howard played such a heavy rotation in the sense that he went like nine, ten players deep. Most of these guys don't feel like they're getting the start that they deserve. Instead, they see everyone's playing the same amount of minutes, but why am I the guy who doesn't get the start? Why am I the guy that comes off the bench? And I really am scared that LaSalle is going to get into this perpetual situation where it continues that four guys leave every year and that they can't can like, they can't keep the guys that they need to. So that's the state LaSalle's in right now. Scott Spencer. I, I don't think it's as big of a deal because they have way more guards. Jared Kimbrough. That's a big loss, especially since he was kind of showing what he had later in the season against, especially St. Joe's. He scored a lot. So that's the LaSalle situation. So uh follow question with that. Um, so we kind of saw vocally on Twitter, uh, Jared Kimbrough was very uh, adamant and very public about his feelings toward LaSalle, especially toward the end of the season when LaSalle lost to uh, St. Joe's. So, um, you know, tweeting out, uh, I, I think it may have been you or someone else saying, you know, man, it would have been great to see what Kimbrough would have done. And he replied and said, yeah, we'll never know. So it seemed like he was very vocal. Do you think this what had been decided a, a while ago or or just like over the past couple of weeks, something like that? Yeah, so this is going to be straight up speculation from my part, but I imagine that it was it was probably determined. If, if you're tweeting that out right after the game, this is something you've known about. I mean, he, he started seven games this year out of the 22 that he played probably was getting frustrated on the bench. Now, I'm not going to say that's the, the reason. This is me speculating. Just want to state that one more time. I'm not going to pretend like I know the whole situation from why he's transferring. But if I had to guess, that's my assumption is that, yeah, he was probably thinking about it. And I, I just want to say this about St. Joe's. There was rumors that um, oh, what's, Jordan Hall was going to transfer, and they just came out today and said he wasn't. I feel like you know it, it's these players either know or they don't. It's not like this, like, oh, I'm going to decide at the end of the year. You know, by midseason, if you're if you're grooving and and everything's functioning correctly and, and how you want to, you know, your career to lay out. So it's unfortunate, but that's where I think Kimbrough was from a mental standpoint, at least. Yeah, understood. Um, but that's the LaSalle news. But we have a much bigger situation over in Washington, D.C. with George Washington. Um, I'm just going to let you take it away, Daniel. Explain to everyone what's going on if they've missed it. Because I have absolutely kind of missed it. Like, I, I'm a teacher, if people don't know. And, like, this week has been, like, crazy uh, in my school, especially since I, I teach in Indianapolis. Uh, the Big Ten commissioner was uh, a big uh, speaker in for our school today virtually. So they've been, you know, it, it's just been kind of crazy with March Madness coming up uh, and a lot of things going on around the city. So um, I've missed a little bit of it. So Daniel, take it away. Tell us what's going on with George Washington. Uh, yeah. 
So <laughs> it's it's a bit of a mess at the moment. Um, I'll preface this by saying this is that t- over the course of this season now, GW has lost five different players, all of which have seen time in the starting lineup. Um, they obviously lost Maceo Jack and Jameer Nelson Jr. Um, back in December. Um, and then now three and two days, they lost uh, Jameson Battle, which is by far the biggest one of all of them. Uh, Chase Parr and then Sloan Seymour, um, which are some big losses, frankly. I mean, I'll start with Jamison Battle. I mean, he was the second leading scorer on this team. He, you know, was the leader of this team a year ago before James Bishop got there, was their leading scorer. Showed just tremendous promise. I mean, he was, I just loved his game. And I mean, basically all the things that, that James Bishop gets criticized for, Jamison Battle does well. He's always under control. He's composed. He has a better basketball IQ, I think. And he's just an all-around, just a good player. Um, what I've heard is homesickness a little bit um, may be part of the reason. Um, I've not heard necessarily that there's anything major going on in the program that was the reason he didn't fit in. Chase Parr, I've heard rumors that maybe he didn't feel like he was able to play at an Atlantic 10 level. I mean, we'll see if that remains true or not. That's a little bit of speculation. Um, I know his numbers were not fantastic this year. I know he missed a fair amount of time, especially towards the end of the season. Um, he was not fully healthy. Sloan Seymour is a bit of a weird one because he was a Jamie and Christian recruit at Siena, I believe. Um, and he played one season there, sat out last year, and then joined the team at GW this year with Jamie and Christian. But also... <sighs> Of all the, th- of, frankly, of all the five of these, it's Sloan's probably the least surprising to me, truthfully. Um, just in the fact that he's never really seemed to fit in with the roster, both just from a social aspect, from a basketball standpoint. He never got a ton of minutes, you know. And when he, even when he was starting, he just it felt like he didn't fit in with the off with the offense that they were trying to run and just the whole system in general. Um, and then the last thing I just want to highlight here: you don't often see coaches responding. Um, when there's transfers leaving their program. Um, but Jamie and Christian took to Twitter, posted a statement uh, earlier today. Um, and he, it, it's a long one. I'm not going to read the whole thing. But basically um, what he highlights in here is like, look, I, you know, I respect guys, you know, rights to make their own decisions about where they feel is best. You know, I want to support these guys best I can. Um, but the thing he really just highlights at the end is, you know, I'm not here to make excuses. He says, we need to get better. He says, I need to get better. Um, I will be better. And I believe deeply in the guys we have in the locker room, he says, which I mean, look, I mean, you could say words are just words, but that's a hell of a lot more accountability than I've heard from a lot of coaching staffs, not only around the A-10, but around the country to say, look, I need to get better. Um, I mean, it's, it's really hard to say. I mean, as Anthony mentioned from the top, there's like 240 odd people in the transfer portal right now. I'm not necessarily sounding the alarm bells entirely on GW saying, oh my God, there's some underlying thing going on here. It's definitely concerning. Don't get me wrong. And losing Jamison battle sucks. Like it just sucks. There's no way to put it nicely. Um, But I mean, I think it's also something that GW has just become a little accustomed to as of late of guys going and, you know, finding homes elsewhere and doing relatively well. I mean, Mezzi Offram, as we are recording this podcast, is playing at the championship game from Mount St. Mary's in, like, I think the Northeast Conference, whatever they're in. So, I mean, it's hard to say, but that's that's basically the short on that. 
Yeah. So if people don't know, um, Jamie and Christian came over from Siena after the 2019 season. He spent one year at Siena and they went 17 and 16. That year, 11 and 7 in, in the MAAC, <laughs> the MAC, essentially the MAAC. So before then, uh, he was more well known for building up Mount St. Mary's uh, for the six seasons he spent there, including two tournament runs. Um, well, not really runs, but uh, bids to the tournament. They were a 16 seed the both times that they were in, um, including one in 2014 in the first four. So basically, there that was kind of a league where it's one bid, but it's so far down there that they're basically playing for a game inside the first four. So um, that's how he got into Siena, and then George Washington stumbled upon him. Um, I don't really know what's going on. I I know I've talked to Jamie and Christian firsthand. He is the only coach I've interviewed, and I mean. I, I think he's a great guy. Um, he's very positive. I felt like 10 times better about myself talking to him because he's such like a positive uh, person. So, um, but I hope whatever's going on with George Washington and that program, um, I think they'll get it straightened out. But I will say, oh, just looking at Ken Palm over the past couple of years or the two years that he's been there, um, they're, adjusted offense this year is way better than last year. Their defense is down, but they're becoming more effective and uh, field goal percentage. Um, they're getting better at shooting twos. They're getting better at shooting threes. It's all a little bit, but um, he, he definitely wants to harp on the defense from talking to him, but we will move on from that transfer news to the, a little segment about bids. Okay, for NCAA tournament bids. So obviously, you know by now, St. Bonaventure and VCU are going to play for the A10 championship. They are the only two teams that are speculated in basically every single bracketology market or bracket or whatever um, that are getting bids from the A10. So we are a multi big lead again, you know, pull down the banner. It's been great. Um, but Basically, there's a little speculation on St. Louis. Now, St. Louis losing to St. Bonaventure was not pretty. However, it does not hurt them because it is against the number one team in the conference. So that really does not, that doesn't, that's not going to matter to the committee. Um, but from the, whatchamacallit, the bracket matrix that I love to follow the most, it shows that St. Louis is in the first four out. It is the last team listed there, so the fourth seed in the first four out. It is included there with Syracuse, Ole Miss, and Utah State. Um, the, the last four in for the tournament listed in bracket matrix are Xavier, Boise State, Colorado State, and Drake. Um, those are also the same there. Uh, Lenardi has his, his for uh, last four in. So um, his also his first four out are Utah State, St. Louis, Syracuse, and then Seton Hall. Okay. So where I'm going with this. Oh yeah. One more thing. Georgia Tech, VCU, Michigan State, and Louisville are last four buys. Okay. You so mean Louisville. <laughs> oh, be quiet over there. <laughs> so 
I'll say it like this, like I'm like swallowing a golf ball. Louisville. Louisville. <laughs> Louisville. Sound, like you're swallowing a golf ball. So uh, where am I going with this? Well, I think it's pretty understood across, you know, the, at least the A-10 landscape or anyone that's following like the bubble or whatnot that St. Louis, although they have a have a good resume. Um, it's the same problem that we have every year with mid majors. It's that their resume is just not better than a lot of other power conferences. And that's why those power conferences don't play these mid majors. It's now come full circle to people, hopefully as to why our schedules in this conference are not very good every year. And we play cupcakes throughout our non-con because the power comp, the power five will play only, you know, one bid league teams cupcakes as well. They don't want to play mid majors and give them a, and have them a chance to get a good win. That's why they all play themselves. The power fives all play themselves or they all play the cupcakes or St. Joe's or St. Joe's. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And that's, that's a completely different conversation there, Anthony. I will tell you that. Um, but I feel like we've come full circle now to see that, you know, St. Louis is, you know, their, their net ranking and everything in the net, their quads is not bad at all. So let's review that really quick. They are 14 and six. They are uh, number 45 in the net. Okay. So that's a good net record or good net ranking, excuse me. We uh, They are two and two in the quad one. They are two and two in the quad two. They are four and two in the quad three with losses to Dayton and, at, at home and then LaSalle. And then they're six and on oh the quad four. Usually that is a resume that will get you into the NCAA tournament. However, the, the programs that are above them for the most part are all in the power five. And if you can, if you, uh, include the big East, which is a very good conference is power six, right? But we'll say power five for this instance, they are all, you know, getting those bids, more bids for those leagues because they all play each other. And all of those league games are basically quad one and quad two games. That is why they all go to 20 game schedules and all that stuff. So I hope that really comes full circle for everyone as to why that happens. Anyway, a little bit off topic, but that's okay. Um, so let's look at the people that they're the teams that are in front of them in the first four out. So let's look first at Utah state, Boise state and Colorado state. They are in the mountain West conference. They're all in there and yet they're all bubble teams, which is actually very beneficial to St. Louis because none of those teams are actually the number one seed in their conference. That's San Diego state. So looking at the mountain West bracket, you have Boise State as the four seed, Utah State as the two, and Colorado State as the three. Utah State and Colorado State will, uh, unless they get an upset, which would absolutely help St. Louis, um, they would eventually play each other in the semifinals of that tournament, and you could say that they might be playing for a tournament bid. Now, Boise State losing to, to Nevada, number five seed Nevada, would inevitably help St. Louis as well, because that's considered a bad loss for Boise state. Um, the one thing though, if they do win that they might end up playing San Diego state, who's the number one seed. And if they beat them, that would probably lock them into the tournament. 
So keep an eye out for the Mountain West tournament. That's a big one in terms of bubble aspirations. Uh, the second one is the ACC because Syracuse, Louisville, and Georgia Tech are all bubble teams and they are in the ACC. Um, so let's check out the ACC bracket where Georgia Tech is the four seed, Syracuse is the eight seed, and Louisville is the seven seed. Louisville opens up against Duke. Georgia Tech plays the winner of Miami Clemson, and Syracuse plays NC State. Um, so, Daniel, I know you want to make one interesting footnote about this bracket. What is that? Yeah, absolutely. So the the important thing to note here is Syracuse is one of the teams that St. Louis is trying to catch right now. Um, and they open with NC State, which is a team that St. Louis has beaten this season. So not only would Syracuse losing help St. Louis, NC State winning would also help St. Louis. So I think that we all need to be the world's biggest NC State fans uh, tomorrow at 12 o'clock. Yes, absolutely. That's a great, great thought right there. Uh, so ACC bracket, very important. Um, next one, VCU is technically in the last four buys. Losing Nibana should not hurt anything for them. If it, anything, it would uh, drop them to like last four in, but I really don't see it. They're probably stuck at around that 10-11 line. Um, unless they beat Bana, maybe move up. I don't really know. All I know is they're a lock to get in. Who cares? Moving on, Drake is very interesting because they are – uh, in the Missouri Valley, which has already been won by Loyola of Chicago. Um, Drake, if everyone remembers, they were on that crazy long win streak. And then the Mount Missouri Valley decided to have Loyola play Drake back to back on a weekend and they split one, one. So for Drake, that's a quad one win. And that is their only quad one win of the season. And the other two quad one losses are also both to Loyola Chicago. One in, that was this past week in the Missouri Valley tournament. Now Drake also is five and zero in quad two, which will be also appealing to the committee, but they are six and two in quad three, which those quad, which those quad three losses will probably not look enticing to the committee knowing that's in the Missouri Valley. Missouri Valley is not a bad conference for the mid-majors. Um, it is actually very much improved by uh, adding teams over the past couple of years. But, um, you know, that's one thing to watch is how is the committee going to see Drake? Because um, there's the season's already done for them. Unless St. Louis wants to add a game against them, that would be interesting. But anyway... Um, Ole Miss. So, uh, they're an interesting team. They're in the sec tournament. Um, they play South Carolina in their first round. If they beat them, they play LSU, which is the third seed. So, um, Ole Miss losing to South Carolina would absolutely help St. Louis. So make sure to watch that. Say, uh, Xavier boo, they play Butler first round. Um, if they lose to Butler, they're pretty much out. So, uh, you're cheering for Butler uh, Billiken fans this week um, because after that Xavier plays Creighton and if they beat them or lose to them, um, it kind of doesn't really hurt them to you know lose, but it will absolutely get them in a tournament if they beat Creighton. Michigan State plays Maryland first round in the Big Ten tournament. Um, the one thing that I will say is because the Big Ten this year is so good and I know we say this every year about the top conference in the country, 
but in the Ken Palm era, this this Big Ten team is looking to be the best uh, rated conference in the Ken Palm era, and that's all the way back to 2002. So nine, uh, 19 years of you know conference ratings, and this Big Ten team is pretty much the top. The top. So um, if anything. Michigan state losing to Maryland. I don't know if they're going to leave out. Like if it comes down to a big 10 team versus the rest of the bubble, I feel like they're going to give the big 10 team the benefit of the doubt because that conference schedule being a 20 game schedule is a gauntlet. And that's why the big 10 changed to it because they're, I'm pretty sure they're only like quad two or quad three team is uh, probably Nebraska. Right. So, cause I'm looking at it. Oh, nor- yeah. Northwestern would be quad three and Nebraska, but everyone else would be quad two and above. So yeah. Gauntlet of a conference. Very hard to see Michigan state being left out. Um, if it comes down to a couple other teams, but basically that's my rundown on St. Louis. The, the, the bubble is not burst. The lost of Bana does not hurt, especially since they also beat them. I mean, it wasn't like what we saw Bonna do to the Billikens on Saturday, but it was pretty close. It was 11-point win, and they kind of ran the Bonnies off the floor So back in uh, February. So um, we become fans for all these different uh, teams that are playing bubble teams, <laughs> essentially. But that's all I got for that. Um, so really quick. We are going to turn it to Daniel, who has a short little preview for the women's basketball tournament that is going on this week. So, Daniel, hit it. All righty. Thank you, Chris. So I'm going to try to keep this short and try not to, to let this ramble on too long. I could talk about this for hours. I love the A-10 woman. Um, but basically what you need to know, um, let's make it short and sweet. So first round begins today, technically, as this is posted. So that will be Wednesday, the 10th of March. Um, you'll have the first four. It's the same format as the men. I know in the last couple of years, the women have had a little bit of a different bracket set up, but don't need to worry about any of that. It's the same as the men this year. So pretty straightforward. You got the two pillow fight games and then you got the, the single buys and you got the double buys. It's the same general spiel. So the top teams that you need to know about. So Dayton Flyers, Chris's favorite team. Uh, they've won their second straight Atlantic 10 regular season title, their fourth in five years. Um, they lost just one game in conference play this year. That was at home to St. Louis. Um, and their only non-conference loss was a game that they had to coach without Shauna Green, their head coach, um, because she was out with COVID. Um, they're led by Aaron Whalen, as well as Jenna Jaconi and one of the freshmen of the year, uh, Tenen Magasa. Um, so that's the Dayton Flyers. Um, other teams you should be looking out for, the number two seed, the Fordham Rams. They were one of the hottest teams in the conference before they had their unfortunate COVID pause, which to no fault of their own, the university just shut everything down for two weeks. Um, I wrote an article about that and their story for A10 Talk. You guys can find that on the website. Um, find a little bit more about their story. Um, they, get, they did get to play one game coming back from that COVID pause. They played um, th- this past week, the same week the men, the A10 men had their tournament. It's the only uh, women's team to play that week, actually. They played GW, um, and they came back and won that game. Um, so it's really going to come down to whether Fordham Sharp or not. I mean, they coming out of that pause. They got one game in, um, but it's really just going to depend. Um, number three, St. Louis. They're the hottest team by far in the conference. 
Um, they've won seven in a row and nine of the last 10. They're the only team to beat Dayton this year, and they did it on the road. Um, they've never been able to, you know, last couple of years, get over that hump and get that A-10 title. This could possibly be the year they get it done. Uh, the four seed is Rhode Island. They're the shock of the year. They were picked 11th in the preseason, um, yet they somehow just found ways to keep winning ball games, And they finished in uh, number four, which is a hell of an accomplishment for them. Um, and then the fifth team to keep an eye out for is VCU. They're the most experienced team in the conference by far. They've been there before. They know what, the, what it's going to look like. And they're the hosts of the tournament, which, as we saw on the men's side, that could be an advantage. Um, so that's things to keep an eye out for. Um, and then I got to throw in one dark horse here as well, because I just love this team. I love how they've been playing. And that's UMass. Um, they started off the season six and one, which is their best start in like 40 years. Um, and they just have so many wonderful pieces. I love Sam Breen as a player. I think she's fantastic. Um, they've got some great pieces as well with Destiny Philoxy and Sydney Taylor. Um, they, and I think they have a really fascinating draw too in, they would play, assuming they beat St. Joe's, would play Fordham in the quarterfinals. And a Fordham team, as I mentioned, that's been sleeping a little bit because they had that COVID pause. Um, so that's arguably some must-see TV. Um, oh, and did I mention they're the number one offense in the conference? Um, so that's definitely something to keep an eye out for. Um, so just your viewing guide. Games are going to be on ESPN Plus all the way through to the quarterfinals. Um, so... And then the semifinals will be one o'clock and four o'clock on CBS Sports Network on Saturday. And then a little bit of double dip on Sunday with the men's championship game at one on CBS. Uh, the women are at noon on ESPNU. So have some double screen action. Use that as an appetizer to get ready for the men. Um, it's going to be a great week of hoops. I um, got my credential today to cover this tournament uh, virtually. Um, so I'll be in press conferences. I'll be tweeting a whole bunch of stuff from my Twitter account. Um so definitely keep an eye out for that. Um, it's going to be a great week. Anything can happen. It's as wide open as it's ever been. Um, I picked Dayton to win it, which maybe it's a bit of an easy pick because, you know, they did win the regular season. But um, I think Dayton and St. Louis just look like they're on a collision course, and it's going to be a hell of a matchup if we can get round three of them. So that is your A-10 Women's Basketball Tournament preview. Um, thank you, Chris, for letting me ramble for five minutes. Hey, that's all right, man. This is probably the biggest time of year for the A-10 women. Um, we were talking about it before the podcast came on. Uh, if people aren't really in tune to the women um, side of the A-10, um, the conference is not normally known as like a multi-big league. So like most like men's conferences where they are a one big league annually, this is where the A-10 is the same way. So like... This is huge um, for the league. So, you know, if maybe like you've been keeping a little bit of an eye on the women this year, you know, um, just like kind of checking out the standings every once in a while. Uh, this is the time now to, you know, watch a few games because uh, like this is big time stuff. So, um, yeah, check out the women this week. We are moving on to what everyone wants to know. Our championship game picks, we are not going to really get into the nitty gritty of it because I we are saving that for our other podcast that we do with by George called the Hey 10 podcast. Uh, it was it's with me at and uh PD buckets, so that is coming out probably on Thursday. So you're listening to this 
on Wednesday. Um, join us at Hey 10 with the by George network. Me and PD are going to break down that game. We're going to give you some betting advice, all that good stuff. So be on the lookout for that. But us, we're just going to look at this thing. We're just going to look at St. Bonaventure, look at the name VCU, and pick a team. Anthony, I have not heard your voice in a while, sir, and I'm very sorry. Go ahead. Who's your game pick for this one? Well, you know, it's I'm saving my few words for, for major maximum impact. And the winner of this game will be, of course, VCU. The craziest fans in the A-10. The one team I would never go against on A-10 Twitter. Those fans are popping up everywhere. Um, but besides that, VCU, I've always liked the defense. I think they're a deeper team than St. Bonaventure. Now, I'm going to say this. St. Bonaventure really impressed me against St. Louis on, on um, Saturday. The fact that they just shut them down, scoring from all over the place, they go one man down, you think they're done, and yet they got a guy off to come off the bench, and they still score, no problem. I really did question St. Bonaventure's depth. I still kind of do, even after the win against St. Louis. I think VCU is just, there's something about them. There's something about great defense. There's something the way they play. They play physical. I love that type of basketball. I'm going to go VCU. I don't think it's a question. I've, pre- I've been predicting it all season long, and I'm sticking with my guns. You know, you really have been on them all season. So like you, you deserve all the credit in the world, even if they don't win, like a very, very impressive analysis from the one and only Anthony Morelli, but Daniel, how about you? What's your pick? I got to stick with it too. I mean, when we met last week, you know, we made our 10 tournament predictions. I said, VCU's getting to the finals. How can I jump off the ship now? I mean, look, there's an argument to be made that, you know, maybe they got a little bit of help by playing at home this week. And, you know, there's an argument to be made there. But I really don't know if it really had that much of an impact. And the flip of that coin, too, is maybe St. Bonaventure had a wee bit of an easy path. I mean, they didn't have to worry about a Richmond team that can be dangerous. They didn't have to face them. And frankly, to me, St. Louis hasn't really passed the eye test for me the last couple of weeks. I mean, they, they had the one nice win. But I mean, other than that, I've not been all that impressed with SLU. I mean, I'd love to see them get in the tournament. Don't get me wrong. I would love it for the A-10. Um, but I mean, look, I mean, you could say St. Bonaventure has also had a potentially an easy road. So there's cases to be made on both sides here. Um, but look, I think at the end of the day, VCU is just the team that I've always felt has the makeup to be that successful team in March, especially now that Bones is looking you know, better. Um, you know, I'm convinced that he's, you know, especially with the extra week in here to heal up, I'm convinced that he's probably going to be fine or as, you know, as close to anyone is fine in March, as far as health goes, you know, I, I just can't go against VCU right now. I really, really can't. So I got to stick with him. Yeah. Um, bones is fine. He scored 30 points in his first game back. So we can, we can, he's fine. Um, all right. So I'm picking the Bonnies and here's why. So it has nothing to do with game, the game analysis or what I think the Bonnies can do to VCU or whatever. Like these, these two teams, these are obviously the two best teams in the league. We absolutely deserve this kind of a game for, um, for all the shit that we've had to deal with this year. Um, 
having the two best teams play for the title. Like this is what dreams are made of. Like we never have this shit. Like think about it. The one seed never makes it to the fun. Never, never wins. They hardly ever make it to the final. The last time we were uh, here, it was the, it was St. Bonaventure and St. Louis and they were the four and the six seed. Like, I feel like this is something we deserve, but my pick for the Bonnies goes back to this, this past weekend with gambling. Okay. So, um, I, so Duquesne opened up as an eight and a half point underdog against the, uh, St. Bonaventure. And if anyone remembers Duquesne, they barely lost to the Bonas the last time they played. So I'm like, Ooh, that's gotta be a big time spread. So I took the Dukes for that. Obviously St. Bonaventure won that game by double digits. Then St. Louis opened up as a two point favorite against the Bonnies. So that seemed too good to be true because St. Louis beat the Bonnies pretty easily. The last time they played in St. Louis. So I took the bills to, to cover and I hated it because I wanted the Bonnies to win and I have them winning in my bracket, but I, I, I had to do it. I had to go with my gut when money's talking, obviously that didn't happen with the Bonnies running them out of the building. Both of those times when I made those bet declarations before the game happened, a certain Twitter user named Darnell flowers at D D train chuggins. Okay. Like, first of all, that's like the sickest Twitter handle I've ever seen in my life. And this guy trolled the shit out of me for my picks, basically saying you all oh, bad idea for going against the Bonnies, you know, like just all capital letters, just absolutely shitting all over me and my picks. And he, he talked his shit cause he's a Bonnies fan. <laughs> It was just so great. And now he's like my new best friend on Twitter. Um, I absolutely love this guy's energy. Like he basically tweets in all caps, like every single tweet. Um, it's pretty awesome. So uh, I, and I, I promise this on Twitter because that happened to me twice. And this dude just absolutely owned me. <laughs> um, I, I said I was going to take the Bonnies. So Basically, that is why, because Mr. D train Chuggins uh, has been trolling me. So I have to take the Bonnies now. <laughs> That's my story. <laughs> um, yeah. So final thoughts, gentlemen, on anything your heart desires. Mr. Anthony, go ahead. My final thoughts. I'm going to bring up the St. Joe's game because I didn't. I didn't get to mention it on the pod, but that UMass loss. Yes, it was brutal. St. Joe's fans ignore it. That four game win streak was everything you needed to see. We found out about Jordan Hall staying at St. Joe's. He's such a good player. He's going to attract a good, tra a great transfer player. I can feel it in my bones. And so my final thought is this, the four game win streak beating LaSalle in the tournament that reflects what Billy Lang and St. Joe's is building. Not that UMass lost because UMass was fresh and they came out. I've never seen shooting like that before in my life. So St. Joe's fans, please do not despair. It, uh, Daniel, how about you? I unfortunately have to go in the opposite direction here. 
Um, not on St. Joe's. I, I completely agree with what Anthony was saying. And be, seeing that game in person against UMass, I mean, it was like UMass couldn't miss if they tried. It was crazy. I got to talk about George Mason here for a minute. I think the exact opposite is the case. I think the, the winning streak they had at the end of the season was frankly a facade. Um, and I think there's some real problems here with Mason. And I really don't think that what they're doing is working. I think, I mean, look, they have made four quarterfinal appearances. Their average margin of defeat in the quarterfinals is 14 and a half points. They have never lost by less than 10 points in the A-10 quarterfinals. They have sucked. There's no other way to put it. That's why I was sitting here in the preview art uh, episode we recorded last week. And I was like, look, Mason in the tournament needs to show me something. And they showed me yet again, they just cannot get it done in the A-10 tournament. And I mean, look, at a certain point, there needs to be a decision made on Dave Paulson too. He's got one year left on his contract. Does Mason extend him? Do they fire him? Or do they let him go to the lame duck year? Something needs to happen here for Mason. I'm not saying necessarily fire Dave Paulson, but they got to do something here because it's not working. I mean, yes, they've, they had a decent season. Sixth place was probably, you know, a little bit high for them to finish. But look, I have some real concerns about them and I need them to do something, something this offseason. Anyway, sorry for the rant. <laughs> That's all right, man. We all get a little bit all upset about our team or alma mater or school at some point in the year, I've done it. Anthony's done it. You've done it. So we've completed this, the triangle of life. Um, my final thought is honestly, thank you seniors. You guys, uh, there's a lot of good seniors this year, like Jacob Gilliard, Grant Golden, Blake Francis, um, Jalen Crutcher, Jordy Chamunga, Evie Watson, Ryan Daly, like I, uh, Fats Russell, I, AJ Wilson. Um, I I'm having a hard time naming them all too. Like Jordan Goodwin, um, Hassan French, like the, this was a very senior heavy year. And I, I think we, we cannot take that for granted in the a 10 because like Anthony mentioned earlier, this College basketball is starting to become a free agent frenzy. And we're starting to see that, you know, there there's going to be many years where we don't see where we or we see the same or a player walk out as soon as he arrives. And as soon as we get very excited about a player coming or a player being there for two years and watching them grow, you know, they, they leave and this is probably the first year in a long time where we've had four years seniors stay for all four years. And we get the pleasure of watching them for four years. Um, I know Ryan Daly doesn't count for that. Um, cause I know he is like a special place in my heart, but like Taylor Funk, um, he counts for that. Jalen Crutcher counts for that. Um, Jordan, Jordan Goodwin, Hassan French, uh, Jacob Gilliard, Grant Golden, um, I'm trying to, Fats Russell. That's uh, another good one. Um, I don't know if you guys can th- think of any other ones that you would. AJ Wilson, right? Um, Javon Green. Am I right, Daniel? On yep, that absolutely. One? Um, so I think this is the one year like that we really can't take for granted because we are not. We hardly will see 
in the coming years of college basketball, a four year senior come through the program like these guys did. So thank you for playing for our schools and giving us a lot of joy. And that's basically my final thought there. Um, but yeah, so there's no interview after this. Um, you know, it's kind of, it, it was kind of a lame week, uh, a little busy on my end. We were just wrapping up with the a 10 tournament. Um, you know, a lot of teams are kind of going through their own postseason things. Plus, it might not be the end of the season for some of these teams. You know, we we still have the NIT. Um, I know many people don't like to talk about it or whatever, but to these guys, it's still a game, and you're still going to watch anyway because you're a fan. So for everyone at A10 Talk, I'm Chris Pyle, and we will see you next time.